Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. As usual, I am Brad and I'm joined once again by Stu. I can't actually think of a pithy thing to introduce him. So, Stu, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. I've not had the greatest of weeks. Um, it's Everything is starting to ramp up and feel a little bit tense again. Uh, I don't know whether it's just me or whether that's a wider thing, but it's definitely there. Yeah, no, we'll touch on it a bit later, but as we spoke um, pre-show, that, yeah, there's, there's definitely a switch in atmosphere um, out and about at the moment. Um, but thankfully, we haven't always got to be out and about, and we can be indoors and we can talk about games i'm going to go as usual and ask you what you've been playing but i might interrupt depending on what your first selection is so off you go Stu, as usual so i will talk about it very briefly and then we'll have a general convo on it because i've been playing super giants hades and it's basically fantastic it's universally liked, it seems. It's got great review scores and people like it. Yeah. And I'm really pleased for Supergiant because they released Bastion, if people remember that one. And, and they I thought, yes, well, I mean, we can we can debate that, but I thought it was a fairly average game. I, I, I'd sort of give it six out of 10, but it did really, really well. It made them a lot of money. And then they released Transistor, which I thought was a, a su- far superior game as a second game and as a second release and that didn't do anywhere near as well and then they released Pyre which as in funeral Pyre because with my accent it might sound really weird um, and that didn't seem to do anything either so I was starting to get a bit disheartened for them on their behalf because the releasing great games and not seeming to do as well as they you know deserved uh, but now Hades seems to be knocking everyone on their ass which is fantastic so I think this is the first time we've played the same game during a week uh, that, that is out on release mm-hmm. and that we didn't arrange to play together and that we both love. So, over to you and your impressions. Yeah, so slight disagreement with you on their back catalogue. Bastion, for me, changed everything. It was the game that made me stand up and take note of indies more than any other just everything about the production quality of that game and the the gameplay loop and everything just it just drew me in and i absolutely loved it and um you're right it wasn't perfect but for what is essentially a debut game oh boy oh boy that is set in some levels um transistor yeah you are 100 correct it's superior in every way and it's criminal that that did not get the recognition it deserved commercially um critically absolutely loved commercially didn't get get what it deserved and pyre again i suppose i'm guilty of this absolutely loved what i've played of it but i haven't played enough of it um i think it came out at a time where there was just saturation um and it was very difficult to stick with one game and i think it was unfortunate because pyre is absolutely brilliant and hades i've seen Certain places call it the greatest indie game of all time. And before going into specifics, I heard that and almost scoffed a little bit. I was like, really? The greatest indie game of all time? I mean, there's a high bar there. And then I thought about it and I thought about my time with it so far. And I can't argue against that. 
as someone who loves indies, there's no way I can argue against Hades being the greatest indie game of all time. And it's a culmination of Supergiant's work over the years that's led to this. And I can't argue against that. As someone who loves indies, there's no way I can argue against Hades being the greatest indie game of all time. And it's a culmination of Supergiant's work over the years that's led to this. And they deserve every bit of success they get. Purely because if you look at the games, you look at Bastion Transistor Pyre before that, now into Hades. They're a Supergiant game. And you look at all of them, you can see they're a Supergiant game. Yeah. Yet, I'm not talking like, do you know when you see an Ubisoft game and you know it's an Ubisoft game because it's a collect-a-thon and it's an open world or or Sony's first party, a third part, uh, um, uh, third person adventure, um, epics and stuff like that. It, not, I don't mean you can see a Supergiant game like that, but there's just something about a Supergiant game. You look at it, every single game has different mechanics. They're not actually linked in any way, but they feel part of the same family somehow, yet they're all so different. And it's just how they've pulled this off, I don't know. But Hades is, oh my word, amazing. I totally agree with every everything you said. And it's hard to pick out... Well, not hard, but it's it's difficult. Yeah, it is a little bit difficult to pick out why it's so good. And I would personally say, I think it's probably because they've got that roguelike balance right. And, you know, I was just about giving up on them entirely because they were... It, you know, in all honesty, they were really starting to piss me off because it was starting to feel like... I'm assuming you're talking about roguelikes there and not super Yeah, Ryan. sorry, yeah, roguelikes in yeah. general. <laughs> yeah, uh, as a bandwagon. Uh, it was far too bandwagony for me and it started to seem like a complete excuse to not design levels. So it would literally be like uh, when you get a board game and the tiles that you get in a board game and they're really good and the artwork's nice, but it's literally just, you know... 12 tiles and you can infinitely shift them around as much as you like it's not going to make them any different it's just going to configure them differently and there's a tons of roguelites that are completely um, guilty of that but this is not yes. one of them and I think the reason is because the variety in the art style helps um, the variety in the enemies helps but also the quality of the action and the speed of the action turns it into far more of an arcade game, which I always bang the drum for, um, than, than you know, their, both their previous stuff and roguelites in general. Yeah, when I look back at roguelites, I'm a big fan of roguelite games anyway on the whole, um, but I can name a few that really stand out and have stood the test of time. So Dead Cells, I think, is one that will do it, but does have frustrations about it. Um, and Binding of Isaac is just an absolute pinnacle of roguelikes, um, possibly now surpassed by Hades. But yeah, roguelikes, there's been so many other games that have tried to get in on it that haven't understood what made those roguelikes so damn good that they are just a, a like a copy and paste of an idea on so as you said onto almost tile sets um, without doing much about it um so but yeah i'm with you there's something about the design of hades that is just absolutely spectacular in both the visual and the gameplay loop and also the writing um i didn't realize um again if you if you look at 
Spelunky and you look at Binding of Isaac, they've got a certain lore about them that is interesting, but they don't bring it into the world building like Hades does. Uh, it's got a full-blown yeah. story written into the gameplay loop. doesn't matter how you do, that story progresses, but how you do dictates how that story progresses or what parts of the story you get. And it's all coherent. And I can't get my head around how they've managed to pull that off. It's, it's just superb. It is. It really is, yeah. It's as though, you know, it's quite, and I wouldn't say easy, but if you're writing a large RPG... Then you've got like your major narrative beats and they're going to be hit when you hit certain milestones. But they've done it in such a way with with uh, with Hades that it's got a ton of content, but it's written succinctly. And one of my things is I hate overwritten games where, you know, there's tons and tons of dialogue that's pointless. Each, each conversation tends to last like three exchanges, like three paragraphs, yeah. which is, you know, admirable restraint and they also seem to be able to track nicely where you are in that conversation so that it doesn't so it feels coherent with that character that you're interacting with but also with the other characters when you go off so it's not like oh yeah we fought loads and loads of times and then you go off to somebody else and go oh i've never met you before let me introduce you to the underworld you know what i mean so yeah that the way they've balanced it is is fantastic and the characters themselves are I'm just superb. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, to try and explain it, if anyone's not from the UK, they might struggle to get some of the um, nuances that are in there. Um, but there's something about the way they're written that no character is... <laughs> it's weird to say because it's set in, like, uh, like hell and everything, but um, no character is inherently bad. Um, the, the, there's, like, the angst that is in there... Um, He's just done just right. Um, father and son dynamics work really well. I'm having a son who's hitting, to, who's becoming a teenager myself. I, I, I'm watching the interaction there, and I'm going, "Yeah, I see that. That's definitely um, there." And then I don't know if it's because I've lived up north for a bit as as well, but um, there's something about Achilles that comes across as someone northern. In a, it's just in the way he is and how supportive he is of of, of your character that I, it, there's just something I don't know sort of like Yorkshire to Northwest based about him just the the praise he gives and the constructive criticism he gives and he's he's for me I don't know how other people feel about it but he's my favourite character in the entire game there's just something about the way he is in that game that I just absolutely love yeah they are excellent and I think there's a really strong Northern European influence in it, which is kind of odd. You know, it's it's not something you expect to see. And Supergiant aren't um, a UK developer, are they? No, no. no. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a fantastic game. I mean, we could probably wax its car for another half hour, but um, it's yeah, it's definitely one of the games of the year already. Yeah. One last thing I do want to say about it at this time, because it won't be the last time we speak about it over the coming weeks. Um, I'm, I'm sure accessibility options in Hades bravo Supergiant games they've created their game that go look this is how it should be played and this is how we want you to go through it but we're not going to gate any content should you struggle um, god mode I've not used it myself but I've seen the explanation of it and brilliant you start off with a damage reduction limit 
and every time you fail, you get you basically you take less damage on the next run, so you can get through it. But there's also a super hard hell mode as well. Should you find the main story that you've done it and you want another challenge, you can do that. And again, you don't have to earn any of this. It's all there from the outset. And I am all for games giving you accessibility options. I don't just mean for, for disabilities and things like that. For all levels of ability for playing games, giving those there from the outset so again that needs praising because absolutely brilliant to do that yeah i agree completely yeah no similar to you i haven't i haven't really gone into those options but i love the fact that they're there they're really yeah desperately needed and uh it kind of yeah contrasts strongly with the other uh sort of fighting supernatural creatures game I've been playing um, which is going to tie into our other conversation uh, which is <laughs> Ultimate Ghouls and Ghosts uh, oh, sorry Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins which I was talking about last week so I completed that and it's just it's fantastic but uh, it's fantastic with a huge asterisk on the end which is you know you're not you can't play it on PSP because it's, on PSP it, it, it's pretty much garbage and that's because of the form factor, the technical limitations, and the difficulty. And it's a huge uh, sort of round of applause and ticking the box for emulation because you can set it to 60 frames per second, which is really important, especially in Twitch games. You can set it to high resolutions so you can actually see what's going on. And you can use different controllers, which is important because the PSP is not good for precise controls, just to put it mildly. Um, and uh, you can use save states, which are absolutely vital because it's such a ridiculously over-hard, over-difficult game. And not just hard in a, well, okay, I, I died because it's difficult, fair enough, but you died unfairly because things respawn off screen and hit you through floors that kind of unfair um so i don't mind attempting a level and if i die because i was crap or i wasn't fast enough fair enough but i'm not going to accept i'm standing there dodging one thing and then something that i could never have reacted to kills me so it fixes that problem you know by cheating but you know it, it fixes it and it doesn't make the game particularly any easier either it just means that you don't have to it's a, sing it's a single it's a single player game do what you want yeah essentially it's yeah yeah it just it's it's adding your own accessibility to it yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know that's fantastic and that is kind of one of the reasons why emulation is so important as well yeah no i i'm with you it's um it's going to allow me to play games that I otherwise miss and can't play anymore or games I used to love playing and can't play anymore. And emulation is absolutely great for that. And one of the things that I struggle with, though, is the morality of how far do you take emulation? How far back do you go? And what reasoning should you give for using emulation? So, for your example there with Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins is an absolutely spot on one. You know, the, the PSP version, of, it's on the PSP, but it's um, not the best to play on that particular system. You've bought the game, you own the game. So, you find another way to play it um, to get the best out of it. And that, I think, is a, an absolute great way to do it. And by no means do I advocate emulation to say, let's play, I don't know, 
Breath of the Wild uh, without buying it or something like that because that that's straight up piracy. Um, but yeah, it, it's going with stuff like that. It's uh, my moral quandary at the moment comes to a game that will be coming out soon that I've owned and I want to play again, but I do not want to reward the the, the company behind it. So it's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, I've had that on the 360, completed it, and I've got a yearning to play that again. I don't have a 360 anymore. It's not backwards compatible, never will be, and technically the only way now to play it on a new system will be to give Ubisoft money. That's not happening. I'm not giving Ubisoft money at the moment. So I'm looking at it going, well, I own the game. Is it wrong to actually just get a 360 emulator? and play Scott Pilgrim emulated on the PC, the version that I owned. And when you struggle with your mental health in certain ways, I've lost hours. Instead of going to play another game, I've gone in my head and battled myself in my head over what the where, where I stand morally over, should I, be, should I download and play this game or should I not? Another example being Blur. I can't play Blur, again, unless I emulate it or I get a cracked version or anything like that. And it's just so, it's such a grey area that the arguments to, for and against it in different ways, it's like everyone goes into it like it's black and white. And it's that, that, that messes with me up, that messes me up more than a lot of things. Um, so where, where do you, where do you find yourself standing on emulation and what at what point do you go yep yeah, this is fine and you go no actually no look that's where i draw the line is there is there a specific mark for you or is it on a case-by-case -case basis yeah I've, I've thought about it for so many years that i have my own set of ethics around it now and <clears throat> they would probably sound sort of complicated to somebody who had never dipped into it before but it's actually comparatively easy for me in that Basically, if I've if I've bought the game before and playing it on something else um, doesn't cause any harm or reduction in whatever income or whatever from anybody, then that's absolutely a hundred percent fine. So a good example, other than obviously Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins, um, Resident Evil uh, Remake. Yeah. So I bought Resident Evil Remake on the GameCube. And then years and years and years later, they brought out a remaster of it on PCs and consoles. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I fancy playing that again. But because I fancied playing it again, I wasn't going to go and buy it again. Um, I could have because it, it was remastered. But I was like, well, I've paid and bought, bought it and I just want to play that again. So I just stuck that on an emulator and played it. And it's like, yeah. So I'm not taking anything from Capcom or their publishers, you know, or any distributors, and I've already paid for that IP and I'm playing the same type of thing again. The fact that I downloaded it as a ROM off the internet makes no difference because I already, you know, I've paid for it. Um, so that's fine for me. I absolutely wouldn't uh, pirate a game. So Hades is out on the Switch, I think. Um, I've got it on PC. Yeah. But I would never like. I've got it on Switch. Yeah. So I, but I would never, I would never like download that and play it. I just wouldn't do it. But I ha I would download it, pay for it, download it, and then fire up a Switch emulator on my PC and try playing it and see what it did. 
because I've paid paid for the game. Uh, I've paid for the IP. They've got my money. If I then choose to try it out on a different system that, again, doesn't use any of their hosting capabilities or take any money away from them, I feel I'm perfectly entitled to do that. So it's... Uh, it's there's some grey areas, but it's it's broadly for yeah. me it feels much more black and white because I feel as though they try and make it grey for older ro- games and ROMs just so that they can make you pay twice for the same product, uh, which of course is exemplified in the new Mario bundle. So, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna go all Jon Snow interviewing Matt Hancock on you. Um, but I'm gonna put a couple of um, questions to you anyway. Please um, do. I'm, 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 I'm hoping it doesn't sound like I'm interrogating you. <laughs> and you don't need to scam off like a dirty politician. <laughs> <laughs> but you used your example, Resident Evil um, Revelations, was it? Did you say? Uh, just the remake. Yeah, oh. the the remake. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, Resident Evil remake. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, which is fine. And then you spoke about that. If you bought a game on the Switch and if you wanted to play it on something else, you'd use a Switch emulator. Yeah. Now, to use Supergiant as an example, I own Bastion and Transistor on pretty much every system they've had except PC. So I've bought it on PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, um, Vita. Um, I think I've probably four or five times I've, I've bought that game, but because of the timings of it, I've never owned either of them on PC. Now, I've just bought them again on Steam using the credit I've got because they're on sale um, and I like to have them all in, in one place and that's probably where I will get PC Hades at some point is on Steam. So where would you stand on that? Because they I want to play them on PC but I own them five times over already having paid money for them. Where's your... Your, your, what would you say there is, should I be buying it on PC or would I be within my rights to go, actually, instead of pl- doing that, I'll just get an emulated PS Vita version and play that on PC instead. But because it's still readily available, should I be should I be buying it? Because I want to play it on PC. I'm not playing it on PC because it's the, um, the only way to still play that game despite owning it elsewhere. I can still play that on other systems, but I want to play it on PC. So I've I, I've made the decision to purchase it. But then to take it to another degree, Droplets was available on PC, but I, I can't play that. So I would need to pirate that to be able to play it. So does it does it matter if the game is accessible still on that platform? Does how many times you've purchased that game matter? Or is there something else that you reckon that, that comes into it? Yeah, all of those questions, all of those things do matter, and that's where some of the difficulties come in. What I would normally do is, so I don't normally bother. So Hades is a great example. So I would buy that on the best platform available to me. So I, so yeah. I bought it on PC. I normally only stick stuff in an emulator that's currently available if it's an exclusive uh, to a platform. So I want to play that game but the platform is not ideal for it. So a a great example of that, and unfortunately something that didn't work properly for me, was Astral Chain. So on the Switch, it runs at 30 frames per second. Mm. So I bought it, and I was happy with it, but I was like, yeah, I would be happy with this at 60. Uh, That really is where this needs to be for a fighting game. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll fire it up on on my PC, because I've paid for it, and it's not available on PC. Um, 
unfortunately it's not emulated properly and it doesn't work uh, properly at all uh, but it was because it was only available on one platform that wasn't ideal I was happy to try it on something else if I bought the Astral Chain uh, the version of Astral Chain on the Switch and a PC version came out I would more than happily just double dip and buy it on the on the PC yeah yeah um, for droplets I would just you've bought it once it's not available anywhere. Just get it. <laughs> Just get it. It's, you're not hurting anybody or taking money from them by yeah. by playing it. Unfortunately, no one cares enough about that game to have it available anywhere, even to pirate. So trust me, I've been trying for the best part of the last half decade. <laughs> I'm about the only person that actually cares about that game. Yeah, but Scott um, Pilgrim. So the new version coming out is that just are they just republishing that under their wing? I believe it's a remaster. Right. Okay. Um, so I I don't know. Um, but again, that just brings up a whole new morality background that you need to wrestle with. I think because I say, do I want to reward Ubisoft for a game I really want to play? Yeah. Um, I'd rather PayPal the developers um, personally yeah. and go look. There's that. I'm, by the way, I'm just going to go and pirate your game now because I don't want Ubisoft to add more money because they're the, they're a scummy company who don't deserve anything. Quite right. Um, quite right. Which again, which I think it's probably why I'm so big towards indies because if it turns out the developers of of um, like the Super Giant games were massive arseholes, um, then I could just easily just go, well, you're just not getting any more money. Um, yeah. I'm directly punishing yeah. you uh, because you're a small indie company. But it, it just it just does get so much more complicated with the bigger companies. Um, and I think that also adds, adds into the mix the idea of a piracy, because you pirate or you emulate. We'll say pirate. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. If I was to pirate Art of Rally, that is taking a sale directly out of a developer's pocket because it's you know a, a very very small team have made it, um, and it takes directly from them. And those individual sales make a difference. A company like Activision, Ubisoft, EA, a game I might not have played anyway and stuff like that, does it make a difference? Uh, this is where I suppose Honesty Stakes comes into it. When I was younger, I pirated games because um, it was cool. Um, I'm about like in my early teenage years and stuff like that where someone had come round and went, Oi, fella, got a few... Um, few moody ps1 games do you want some so I'm like, well yeah of course i do how do i do it blue tack in the in the in the playstation yep and yeah in, ter in terms of pirating i i've done it before where I, i've pirated games i've played it enjoyed it but actually do you know what now i'm gonna buy it and i i don't think I used to really worry but as i got older i used to worry about it the effect it would have on different companies and it was only like i'm thinking about preparing for this episode that i really got thinking about and yeah i do prepare sometimes do you <laughs> and looked at yeah 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 definitely <laughs> just kidding <laughs> and i looked at like um game pass and stuff like that and went essentially that's the same as what i used to do when i used to pick up a game on on the moody from someone to play it decide i liked it and then bought that game i get a game on game pass or let's say Humble Bundle, or I suppose to a degree it doesn't really count. I suppose it does because it's got their vault and stuff like that. Um, or, you know, any of these services where games come and go. I play it and if I like it and it's not available now, I buy it later. 
because it is a glory, like it's a way of trying out the games more than anything, stuff you wouldn't usually want to try. Um, and it's, yeah, so it, it's an interesting one, privacy. I don't think privacy is always like the negative thing that it's always thrown up to be. There are always going to be those that will, you know, you look at Brazil and stuff like that, and it's like they've given up trying to even combat it in those areas. Um, but then at the same time, I got the chance to play a game like Thrill Kill on, on the PlayStation 1 through piracy. And I'm absolutely glad I did because, boy, that game was crap. And I'd have been gutted. To, well, you couldn't buy it anyway because it was banned. But it had such an aura about it that when I then played it, I was like, oh, is that it? It's not even that bad in terms of like why it was banned. The game's bad. Maybe it was banned because it's a bad game and that's a good reason <laughs> to ban games. Oh, they should do. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a really weird one. And because of the way my brain works, it's the sort of thing that I battle with for weeks and months on end. <laughs> it's, really, it's really, really dumb. Um, I wish I could just go, I'm just going to pirate this game because I fancy it, and oh, I'm just going to emulate this game because I fancy it. Not have personal internal debates over the whole thing. Uh, but it's always been that grey area. Whatever you say, whatever your stance is, with emulation privacy or whatever there will always be someone who can argue and i think reasonably into why you're wrong whatever your stance is because the one of the arguments if you turn around and go oh privacy and emulation's wrong you should blah, blah, blah. it's so very very wrong but then game preservation it's you know being able to get hold of games that you never was able to before via you know like archive.org except for droplets because apparently no one cares about droplets <laughs> um, but it's it they preserve games and i think it's absolutely brilliant that, that, that that's out there to do that but then you could also get modern games on there that shouldn't be on there quite yet and yeah, that's wrong. So there's always that argument way one way or another. And it's an interesting debate that will rage on and on. It will. Uh, I think it's far less of a debate these days. And I think that's because like the the when the PlayStation came out, which is I think probably still the most pirated console, it, the the get Oh, that's got to be the DS. Oh, yeah, it could be the DS. Yeah, yeah, but um yeah, one one or the other. The games even my nana, even my nana had an R four card. But yeah, no. When when the when those consoles were in their pomp, the games never really dropped in price. They were only really hard copies. There were, you know, there wasn't yeah. really any digital distribution for the DS, and and the games never dropped in price because it was a very closed market. Oh, they did they did drop, but I, I remember like you'd wait for a platinum release for stuff. And that was still 30 quid. And this is 30 quid like 25 years ago, you know what I mean? Um, That's about £6 million. (laughs) Yeah, with inflation, yeah. So it was crazy money. And I think when when they found a way to get around it, that was it, everyone was doing it. I think nowadays with sales and the fact that if something something is full price for its first, what, two weeks, and then it's going to have 10% off, and then you can knock 10% off that, every at least three months say for five years until it's like 50p um yeah so the the boundary between um piracy and emulation is is more clear than it ever was i think because games come out if you pirate them you've got very little excuse because it's gonna get cheap down the line it's gonna stay available online for you 
and it's yeah it's going to end up costing nothing so the, yeah. but there are these real edge cases like you said droplets and like um yeah, a, a few others knocking about like ultimate ghouls and ghosts <laughs> i keep calling it that ultimate ghosts and goblins where there are several factors that stop it being you know anything that you could just buy i would say to to end off what my point would be if if there's anyone out there worried about doing it now obviously technically it's illegal downloading a rom off the internet is illegal but for me that's just yeah that's insane you know that's just craziness to have that blanket thing um i would say if the game is not available to buy anywhere then you have and you've especially if you've bought it before but not limited to if you've bought it before then you know you can download it because it's not available anywhere to to pay for so get it (laughs) and then if it come if it comes up in the future somebody goes oh here we are i'm going to republish this then support them and give them the money uh if you unless it's ubisoft Ubisoft. and that's that's another problem because star wars squadrons is coming out and i don't really want to give ea my money but if i buy a second hand copy so they don't get it i'm forced to then play it either on the xbox or on the ps4 and i want to play it on my pc for vr and for you know the the hotas that you gave me all that stuff so yeah yeah, I mean, but I'm not going to break the law to do it, unfortunately, because I've got morals about it. <laughs> but yeah, no. So, just my points on on that to a degree. This is this is what's interesting, and this is where we're getting the changing face of of video games. Um, always, there's the argument of you need physical because um, it's game preservation, um, and I get that because you you they can't take that away from you. However. If a game only ever came out as a hard copy on a PlayStation 1 and your every PlayStation 1 in the world dies, you can't play that game anymore. Yeah, um, exactly. That, that's dead, that, that game. Your physical copy of that game is dead. Now, I know that's an extreme case and that's unlikely to happen in our lifetimes and someone's going to have a preserved version somewhere. But the longer time goes, the harder it's going to be to play that physical copy anymore. Now, digitally, yes, they can revoke those licenses, but the second a game is out on the anywhere via where internet is possible, you can get hold of that game again in some fashion, apart from droplets. And you go right, you're right as well, sales. I, I've got some credit on my Steam account, and because I'm on a super giant love fest at the moment, I picked up Giga Chess, which isn't. Uh, Super Giant, Train Train Train, which again isn't them, but I also picked up Transistor, Pyre and um, Bastion and I paid a grand total of £13 for three of the best indie games ever released and a couple that I fancy taking a chance on. £13. And sales like that which weren't possible in years gone by, unless it was a complete fire sale for a trash game, are the reasons why I think digital is a good thing at times um, and why there's a less of a need to to pirate modern video games and emulation I don't see it being a thing of the past um, but as we see more things like maybe not Antstream as such but more services like that more streaming services I honestly think we'll see less and less need to actually go out and download and emulate a game because it will be available in some fashion as long as they don't get greedy and make it that it's actually easier and cheaper to go and pirate 
Yes, no, I agree. People uh, very often only pirate when they don't have the availability and don't have the immediate access. Um, yeah. yeah. Same, with, same with TV. Yeah. Netflix and everything. I, I can't remember the last time I actually went and um, pirated a TV series, yeah. which used to be, everyone was doing that a decade ago mm. because it was, oh, this thing's out in America. When's it coming out here? We've got to wait three months well, I'm just going to go and stream it instead. Yeah, exactly, yeah. People just want accessibility for things. We spoke um, last week, oh, like, like the weekend a little bit, and then prior to this about um, both of us having not the best of weekends um, with external factors. And one of the things um, you mentioned was you was having quite affecting, effective, affecting dreams, and they was vivid, and I think like almost knocked you for six a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it did get me to wondering with obviously external factors always have an effect on what what your brain's doing during like while you're asleep, but I I do wonder how how mental health has an effect on that as well. What what does mental health do? Because I I've noticed since I have been on my medication that my dreams are just all over the shop so vivid so varied where i've woken up in a cold sweat before not through not through being scared just woken up in a cold sweat because of the intensity of the dream the weirdness of the dream as well was maybe wake up and just go what um yeah i've had these really vivid ones that the second i woke up i've gone wow that was intense what was that dream actually about? I don't remember anything about the dream. All I remember was an intense dream uh, and stuff like that. So I'm wondering, sort of like, I know sort of like there's entire tons of research into sort of what dreams actually are and, and why they happen and why we dream and what the effects are. I've noticed a lot of people talking about it this year that they're having these weirder dreams um, because of the shit show that is 2020. Um, so have you found it, like, is it, something that's only just started with yours it's something you've always had happen sort of like really vivid dreams yeah it's only started recently and it more so i mean i've had times in the past where i've had them and i some of them have been you know good dreams don't tend to be good because they tend to be your, your brain working out the problems that you've had and, and trying to find solutions for you in your subconscious or they seem to be um but you know i don't average normal dreams and and stuff like that and very rarely have nightmares but um at the moment it's very very vivid un unpleasant dreams and i wouldn't call them nightmares because they're not kind of like monsters and i don't wake up like sweating and terrified and stuff like that but they're just really really depressing and really there's such a massive downer because that they they're reflecting just everyday stuff but everyday stuff now is feels like you know world ending kind of it, yes. it isn't but it kind of feels that way and it's my brain saying well yeah okay it's not the literal end of the world but it's the end of your world it's the end of the way that the world has been and it's never going to be the same again and that's absolutely true and they're the sorts of dreams I, I can't really remember from the time but when you go through a period of grief, you have very strange dreams. Uh, I, very often, they, for me, they were sheltering me from from reality. Mm. And then you wake up and the reality was worse than the dream. But 
they were they were marking a point of your world changing and your brain chemistry changing and you never being the same again and it seems to be like that with this so i will wake up from these dreams and the my whole day will be ruined because the things that you go oh okay well you know yeah okay so this this covid outbreak has happened in this place and yeah no i heard a snippet about uh, this species on the verge of extinction and you know this that and the other and you you kind of downplay some and, and deal with others but your brain doesn't do that and it deals with them all at once and then it's kind of like I can't avoid all this horrible stuff at the moment and th- then that's it the day's literally been poisoned for me I feel like I'm walking yeah. around poisoned when that happens yeah no it's it's really it's really weird on sort of like again it seems to be actual events and the effect they have um I'm not going to go into a long drawn out here's, here's what this dream was but i mean i've spoke about before where i'm identified now pretty much as non-binary like and i remember going sort of like to bed and having a dream where i had a dream i, I dreamt about hansel and gretel um like a, almost like a tim burton cross geiger style fever dream of hansel and gretel where i was both hansel and gretel in the dream and I was being shoveled into an oven by a giant witch-looking thing um, that was basically shoving me in, telling me I'll never be accepted, you'll never be accepted. And it was just loads of different faces in this witch. It was just a really vivid dream. And I woke up and I remembered this dream. It's one of the rare occasions that I remembered the dream. And I was like, what the f- was that? What on earth was that I've just dreamed about? And then sort of like a little later in the day I was thinking about it, I went, bloody hell, that's come off the back of me talking about actually admitting that I'm non-binary, you know, actually understanding where I actually stand in all of this now. Um, not being able to know what I was when I was a child, um, you know, and not understanding. So I, I was never, like, masculine, never overly feminine. Um, so I never fit in. And along with my ADHD and my weirdness in inverted commas, and then sort of going, actually, I've never been afraid to say, like, this guy's attractive or this person's attractive or, you know, I mean, a straight, I mean, a, a heterosexual, like a loving heterosexual relationship or as my partner puts, what do you mean loving? Oh. Um, but we were in a, you know, a loving heterosexual relationship, but I just so happen to be comfortable that I, you know, I can be attracted to anyone. And so I think just like, looking at that, that my dream was me sort of going, trying to deal with public perception of what, people see as gender and and sex now and and what that is and it's just like it's just, again i think that was because of the meds i'm on as well at the moment because they they seem to be almost hallucinogenic in terms of what they do to you while you sleep and i think you're right it's like you said like when, when you dream it's your brain is trying to find solutions to what's happening in your life so they're never sort of like they never dreams that aren't designed to make sense because it's your subconscious trying to work things out but i remember that one just really sticking out as to terms like this almost like the imagery within this dream just being so freaky and then but they're the sort of dreams i'm having about all kinds of different things at the moment and i think it's 2020 yeah and a mix of my mental health and the meds i'm on and it's just so weird yeah there's there's not been a time in our lifetime that has made us turn inwards so much Mm. because not only have we mentally had to to turn inwards obviously because so much is changing 
but we are literally physically turning inwards and, and staying indoors more often and doing more things indoors and, and at times forced to be indoors, not against our will, but, you know, as part of a social cooperative kind of action. And yeah. Well, most of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of us. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it, it's changed the way that, that we behave. And even if ostensibly nothing that you do has changed in yourself everyone around you or lots of people around you have so that changes you so yeah it's a very insular time a very interior time where you're trying to to work things out and that even if it's going to end up positive things have to be knocked down to be replaced and at the moment I feel like stuff's getting knocked down internally like the walls that made up me are kind of being knocked down and it's time for new ones to be put up kind of thing that makes sense yeah and i think you're talking about obviously they are sort of like everyone on the whole being sort of having to look at themselves look at the wider world uh deal with themselves a lot more they, they've actually got to deal with personal issues head on because they can't it's, you used to be able to escape things personal issues by going out to work or going out with your mates if you had any and doing certain activities to try and hide what you was going through and you can't do that as much now so you're having to deal with these things head on and again i think if, i wonder if we're collectively now dealing with a lot of stuff there's a reason why black lives matter movement is gaining such ground and, and traction why people are are not putting up with trump's bullshit anymore why people are actually rising against governments um the discussion around transgenderism you know people like jk rowling are not getting away with comments that do you know what i think even a year ago they might have got away with yeah um and all things like that and i remember looking at it and seeing um, a discussion i had like um my son came home from school and was talking about um something to do with harry potter and um transgenderism and stuff like that because it'd been mentioned at the school and they someone mentioned about did you don't you know the, the hypothetical bearded rapist yeah. that's gonna pretend to be a woman so they can go into the toilets yeah. and rape women you know that, that guy that's always hanging around mm. um and that's something jk Rowling believes um and I remember some people go, you know, it's got to be true, you know, not true, but it's got to be elements to that because it's in her, you know, it's her new book is about someone who uh, dresses, a, like becomes a woman so that they can get access to certain people to, so they can kill them, blah, blah, blah. Bear in mind that J.K. Rowling also wrote books about wizards and fantastical lands that don't exist. So, yeah, don't hold her up as a bastion of what might actually be um possible um no okay here's an outlier one person might think that they can pretend like pretend to live as a woman for a certain amount of time to get the gender identification certificates if they need to to go and use the women's toilets because again i don't care if you identify if i go into a woman's toilet and i i've got a a three-month grown beard even as someone who considers themselves non-binary I'm not going to be accepted in that woman's toilet. People are going to raise eyebrows. To be able to be accepted to go into that woman's toilet, I'm going to need to go through a few different physical um, changes and men- you know, prove mentally that that's where I am and stuff like that. If I was doing that just because I wanted to rape or hurt somebody, I'm not going into that level of detail. I'm not going into that. So this hypothetical person does not exist. 
And but these discussions are needing to be had. And again, seeing them now because you're more exposed to all of this, because not just because of the uh, social media, but because we're all seeing more social media, because we've got more time on our hands. Is again, I think that's I've been having dreams about that, that kind of thing, and it's all there. It's all sort of like the only time you're stopping now is when you go to sleep, and that's when your brain is just trying to unpack everything and everything that's being thrown at your brain at the moment. Both on a personal level and a wider level is just so fucked up at the moment. And that, I think, explains why you see more and more people have more vivid and disturbing dreams. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The The rate of change in society is just is so fast at the moment because, as I say... It's unprecedented. Yeah, it is because it's, it's all turned inward. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. It, it's an interesting one, um, for sure. Um, but it I is. think the final point I want to make on all of this, I think it draws it all together really, really well. And I think people will really get me with this one. Let's bring back droplets. It's the only way, mate. It's the only way. That's, honestly, it's what's going to save 2021. Get droplets remade before 2021 and everything will be fine. Yeah, well, you'll be happy anyway. Yeah, well, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, obviously a slight joke at the end there. I would love droplets back, but not at the expense of anything else, obviously. No. But yeah, have you got any more you want to say on on the matter, or are we done? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's much more we that can be said about them. It, it's it's an unfortunate thing. It's it's one of those things that tries to in me at least tries to make me have a better day. Like I yeah. will try and do things to make sure I have a better day, but. It does make on Sundays. It makes it very difficult. But yeah, you know, I'll keep trying, and luckily not knocked back by it too hard each time. Yeah. So that that's a positive to leave it on, I suppose. Yeah, and the one positive I think that has changed in all of this, and one message that has started to get through, is the message of it's okay to not be okay. That when someone asks how you are, you can go, yeah, I'm a bit shit actually. Yeah. Yeah. And you haven't got to go, oh, 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 okay, um, how do we deal with this? As, as we did, I think, yesterday when we exchanged, exchanged pleasantries and, you know, what, what's up, what's on the docket for this week, it's like, oh, it's a bit shit, yeah, it's been a bit shit here. Doesn't need a massive in-depth um, discussion about why things are shit, but it's it was kind enough to know that, that I'm just going to admit that it's not been a great day or it's not going to be a great, you know, I've had a bit of a shitty weekend we're seeing more and more people be able to admit that and I think that that's one of the positives that's definitely coming out from everything that you know when you ask how someone is you don't want to hear yeah it's all right which is usually code for yeah you don't even want to know yeah definitely and I want to see more people just if you turn around to me and go yeah it's a bit shit I can turn around to you and go, was it something you want to talk about? And it's like, no, I just felt like, so, you know, it's, it's not been the greatest weekends. This has happened, this has happened, and, you know, I'll deal with it and move forward. Because that, that sometimes is enough. Um, but you also know that the person's aware that if something else changes, if, if that other, if they're not quick to react to something or or something else getting them down, they've made it aware it's not out of the blue. You know that something's been getting to them in some way and that you can... Never tread on eggshells with it, but you can at least go, okay, well, if you need a couple of days or you need a day or whatever, then that's fine. Or if you want to power through, that's fine. I'm aware of it. Um, and I, I think 
mental health at the moment, it's looking like everyone's struggling more and more and more, which they are. But I honestly think we're going to come out of the other side of this with a better appreciation or better understanding even of what we need to do as a community, a wider community to help each other through things and not just go cheer up yeah i agree with that i don't know where that last bit came from because that was nothing to do with the dream section but there you go it works we'll go with it yeah yeah it's, it's like i film with my jerry springer final thoughts um i just i just i, I film them record them all and they go we'll just pop that in somewhere that'll do yeah and you're a little bit more credible than jerry Spr- or are you mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, don't know, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, so thanks for joining us uh, again. It's um, whatever we can do to sort of like help you through. Um, our Discord is available. You can reach us on Twitter. The podcast is obviously up for free wherever you listen to podcasts. We do do an after hours special, which is pop culture based stuff, and you can get access to that via our all access tier on Patreon. You can even get this podcast early and unedited via our early access tier on patreon um so check that out but yeah though just again just to 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 reiterate to everyone thank you for being a part of this thank you for continuing to be on this journey with us reach out wherever you need to or just continue to enjoy the content been joined by Stu again thank you Stu. i've been bradley everyone buy droplets goodbye